0: it's time to transform your life through knowledge creativity and mastery delivered on the focus seven daily podcast with business expert and marketing guru lisa frederickson you will hear interviews with some of the most thought-provoking mentors and professionals on a variety of topics and now your host and favorite learnaholic lisa frederickson good morning listeners welcome to today's adventure i'm lisa Fredrickson, your host and incurable learnaholic in this episode we'll be discussing why i don't like sex anymore i mean well not that i don't like sex but well okay let's not go there but why intimacy can lose its glamour Fortunately, we're blessed with the presence of the fabulous Dr. Janet Williams, MD, OBGYN and intimacy coach. Welcome, Dr. Williams. Thank you so much for having me.
1: It's great to be here.
0: I love being able to approach this topic with you, Dr. Williams, because most people find it uncomfortable discussing intimacy, even amongst friends. It causes us to feel vulnerable and fidgety, so if true, why do you think the subject of intimacy puts us on edge so much?
1: So I think it's a kind of, I won't say global, but at least here in the States, we have some shame that's built around this. And we don't get any education on it anywhere in our development, for the most part. You might do our <laughs> lecture when you're in the eighth grade about, you know, how not to get pregnant. And how not to get a, an STD. But there's nothing, at least in my upbringing and in my training, that really speaks to pleasure and how we can get pleasure and comfort around our bodies and our genitals and things that are a part of our person. But somehow this stigma is placed on it. And so people are very uncomfortable talking about it. They're yeah. uncomfortable talking to their friends about it because they're worried about being judged. They're uncomfortable talking about their partners about it often because there's this misconception that somehow you're supposed to innately know what you're doing sexually (laughs) yeah, or that your partner should innately know how to please you. That we were Uh, born a sexual
0: diva somewhere inside then. So we're just supposed to know it all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like you're supposed to just somehow know that. And then people are actually uncomfortable talking to their doctors about it. And that's multi... There's many reasons for that, but there's really nowhere for a lot of people to go with this issue. And so that's why I'm glad that I'm able to kind of open up this conversation. And a lot of other people are too nowadays, but it's a much needed conversation to help guide people into something that is innately theirs and innately, you know, pleasure is for all of us. And so it's great to talk about it.
0: Well, and even though I do know that other people talk about it, when I read your book, I found that it was a refreshing look at it from the point of view of I don't like it anymore or why it was waning or going in and out and ebbing intimacy wellness uh, changes right throughout our life. And so one moment we've been enjoying sex and then after, what are some of the things that affect that that you've run into in your practice and coaching?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So definitely the answer to that is, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Desire and arousal, orgasm, as well as pain and discomfort, all of these things are elements of sexual function and they fluctuate, you know, depending on your physiology, depending on what's going on in your life. If you've got a lot of stressful things going on that may affect your desire or -hmm. your interest in sex or your responsiveness to sexual stimuli, Things in your diet can affect whether or not you're, you're becoming aroused. Things like sleep, or if you're sleep deprived, which can happen for a number of, of reasons. So- I think we're all sleep deprived,
0: no energy. So that seems to be a, a pandemic in itself
1: Absolutely. amongst people. Yeah, so there's a myriad of possibilities and reasons why you might not like sex anymore. (laughs) Um, Yes, it does, you know, wax and wane. So sometimes we see, you know, your appetite is very high and your everything, all the the things are clicking. And then sometimes it's not, you know, and that's okay. We have to, you know, take away that stigma as well. There's something wrong with you if you don't feel like having sex. Absolutely not. You know, there's going to be times in your life where you're not.
0: Uh, So we don't always have to be on and be that person. It's okay to have permission to have these changes. Absolutely. Is, Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yes. And I think that understanding that and understanding what's going on with those changes is really powerful in order for you to then at another time, get back into it. And what I'm concerned about is when people think that those changes are that's it for them you know and they sort of Mm -hmm. tap out well i guess that's it you know i'm having pain or i i you know don't feel like doing it so i guess i'll never do it again and they tap out of that aspect of their life and so they give up don't need to
0: glad you're emphasizing that we don't have to give up pleasure because of those challenges and that is profound for all women Um, For a second, I'd like to go back and expound on not being educated about intimacy because I have a story. In my family, my grandmother never discussed intimacy in a positive manner. As I recall the family stories, uh, grandma was like, women don't need to enjoy sex. Mm. And sex is just to have babies. So it's done after you've had the babies. And that was my mom's conversation with her mother. And so my mom had some of those misconceptions. So when she came to me and talked to me, she did a better job, but it was still like kind of the mm-hmm. Twitter version. <laughs> 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 what is sex and how does it work in your life? So it was really short, hundred. Yeah. A high school sex education. <laughs> exactly. And I know that some of those challenges were in your background, and you shared those in in your book, and they were wonderful. Please pick up her book and, and can you share with us some of the experiences you had with learning and going through all of those type of steps as well?
1: Yeah. well, I have an interesting background in that my family was both very religious and both also, They were, or are, I should say, a medical family. So my dad uh, is a surgeon, a general surgeon, a family surgeon. My mom was a registered nurse, um, is a registered nurse. They're both retired now. Mm -hmm. But so that we have both the health and medical background. But I was also raised Seventh Day Adventist, so very strict um, Christian. (laughs) um, And and my parents are from Caribbean descent. And so that adds another layer cuz you know Caribbean nope. people don't play with Jesus like it's you know no. <laughs> it's serious it is serious They're not playing games yeah so i have both of those things going on for me and the interesting thing is i was excited about learning about my body i'm not sure where i got that from maybe it's just innately but i was exp- excited about getting my period and Back in the 80s, there was a book called, Are You There, God? God, It's Me, Margaret. And I don't know if you guys if remember that book where we talk about the breast and like, you know, just that whole process of, you know, developing from a child into a young lady, mm-hmm. you know, that I was excited about. And when the time rolled around for me, when I was expecting to get that information, it just didn't come. like <laughs> They did not break it down. They did not sit down with me and and say, hey, this is what your menstrual cycle does. This is what, you know. So I you said, got a text hey.
0: message for sex education too, huh? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and I, I asked, and I talk about this in my book. I, I remember specifically asking about sex, like I wanted to know. And the answer that I got was very, like, I don't want to say dismissive, but it, essentially they told me, don't have it until you're married. And then I asked, I did a follow-up question. It was like, what does it feel like? What is it, what is it like? And my dad said, it feels good. And that was it. <laughs> well, at I least he said it. good. <laughs> yeah, no. So I had a positive idea about it, but that was it. I don't, I didn't have any training. This is what you should expect. This is how you interact with boys, none of it. So yeah. the rest of it, I was pretty much on my own, you know? Wow. So that was my experience. And I think there's definitely some room for improvement on that education. Yes. <laughs>
0: Thank you. So, fast forward to the women of our audience, which is 45 and above. Mm-hmm. We've gone through life and we've had some experiences and things, and life is changing. We're, maybe we're tired or we've had multiple kids. I know that things became very difficult for me in, in my intimacy relationship after my third child because things changed drastically due to mm-hmm. a vaginal delivery. Where she had not taken into, into consideration, she wanted to do a natural method of delivery, but she didn't take into consideration that I had had an episiotomy that was really deep. And mm. so it split that wall, mm. which made sexual uh, intimacy uncomfortable. Yeah. There are many, many things that people face, and I'd like to kind of address some of those that are general, one being the pain. And, and I think you bring up dryness as one of the others, and of course, okay. fatigue and things like that. So it's not over when we have pain. We don't, we don't have to just stop. What are some of the things that our audience can do to gain back that functionality?
1: Yeah. So when we talk about sexual pain, uh, it's called dysperionia is the blanket term for it. It doesn't tell us like where the pain is coming from, what specific type of pain you're having. Mm -hmm. Um, You can kind of think about it anatomically, you know, so in your pelvic floor, there's muscles, Mm -hmm. there's the skin that, you know, covers all of the muscles. Mm -hmm. There's ligaments and support uh, tissues inside. And then a layer on top of that is tension. So, tension can be held in the muscles. Okay. So, when you think about pain, we figure out where the pain is coming from. Sometimes there's internal pain too. So, when we talk about, let's start with the, the skin, for example. So, mm-hmm. the, the tissues of the vagina and vulva tend to, in response to desire, the desire's there we expect for arousal to occur. And arousal is basically when the body, your physiology responds to the desire. And a lot of times for women, perimenopause and menopause, the arousal part of it may wane because Mm -hmm. estrogen levels are low and estrogen is important in that moisture, in the suppleness, in the um, lubrication of the vagina. And so when we see in the vulva and when we see that going down, a lot of times we get dryness and that can feel like sandpaper. And it's a feedback loop because if you've had sex, like say you have the desire and then you get with your partner, then you're having sex and it hurts. Now it's a part of your brain that says, okay, no, this hurts. I don't want to do this. That may affect your desire. That's one of the biggest causes of sexual pain that we see, especially in the perimenopausal time period and menopausal time period. Other things that may cause vaginal pain will include being on birth control pills. so you may not be perimenopausal and you can be on birth control pills and that changes the the balance of the hormones and you have a state in your body where estrogen is actually lower um, mm-hmm. and that can cause pain. breastfeeding. So if you've just had a baby <laughs> and you're, you're you know you're still in your reproductive years, But breastfeeding can actually drop down the estrogen levels and result in some vaginal dryness. And we see that. And unfortunately, a lot of times BGYNs may not really clue into that. They're like, well, you just had a baby, you know. But it may be actually the estrogen uh, levels related to breastfeeding that's causing that. Before
0: we continue this enlightening topic, I'd first like to help our listeners discover Dr. Williams' Intimate Wellness Shop. You'll find it at IntimateWellnessShop.com, a premier source for doctor-curated intimate health and wellness products. When you visit IntimateWellnessShop.com, the discerning woman will find products that help her with libido, hot flashes, dryness, intimate play, and much more. With Dr. Williams' wide range of trusted products, you can stop settling for disappointing intimate moments and find your balance Get back to enjoying your intimate life at IntimateWellnessShop.com. Now back to our show. One mm-hmm. of the thoughts that just came to my mind is a lot of us are at this age are in the diet phase where we're trying to get our shape back. We're trying paleo diets and things like that that probably are affecting the very hormones you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Do you find that these fad diets also contribute to some of the sexual intimacy issues that women are having?
1: I wouldn't say that the fad diets are contributing to it. I would say more so that they just aren't helping, you know, Uh, and that
0: the, the
1: the issue is just the menopausal changes. And then those diets just are not necessarily working. There's a lot of um, research coming out now with regard to intermittent fasting Uh and how that helps the body to repair and a lot of what is going on with problems with diet. And people will be doing all the things like, like I'm working out, I'm eating the right stuff. Uh, there may be some problems with the nutrition in the food that we're we're eating. Diabetes epidemic is out of control. A majority of people in the US are um overweight. And it's not our fault. It's not, it's a lot to do with the, the you know, chemicals, the food nutrition, things, yeah. Yeah, the things that are in our food. So we beat ourselves up about that too, but <laughs> it's really not anything that we've done. You know, we're we're doing the right stuff. It's just that. The environment is problematic. So, if a woman
0: is experiencing the dryness, she head over to you know CVS and and get a lubricant or are there better solutions.
1: Yeah, she could she could get a lubricant, um, but I, the primary thing that's going to help with that is vaginal estrogen cream. You can see your doctor about that and get a prescription for it. There are very few people who have any contradiction to or or are not able to use a, a vaginal estrogen. So the only people who may have some reason not to be on a vaginal estrogen would be someone who has a estrogen receptor um, positive breast cancer. Right. Um, and even some of those uh, patients could be candidates for a vaginal estrogen. In those cases, you need to talk to, with your care team, your oncologist and your obstetrician gynecologist, maybe even the, the surgeon that you worked with to mm-hmm. see if this is a reasonable option for you, and the reason why we worry about estrogen um, in general for menopausal hormone treatment is because of the concern of blood clots. But for vaginal blood clots, um, heart attack, stroke, any kind of a cardiovascular risk factor, we see that with systemic estrogen, and systemic estrogen is estrogen that's getting into the bloodstream. Okay, so that's oh, your I see. Case. Yeah. What's that? Uh, well, yeah,
0: no, I'm following you on what you're saying because I do have a sister who has estrogen or had estrogen breast cancer. So
1: right. Uh, so, and so when, she's
0: restricted.
1: Yeah. So when we're talking about estrogen replacement for estrogen hormone therapy, there is a misunderstanding with regard to the vaginal estrogen because the vaginal estrogen does not absorb uh, very much into the bloodstream. So the risk... Okay. Of the cardiovascular events and the cancer related concerns are not generally there for vaginal estrogen the amount that's going to it's absorbed systemically is very little but the wonderful changes that it does make in the vagina are outstanding and I've got clients 70 years old and they start using the vaginal estrogen and it's a game changer. So if you've got this dryness itch issue, You go to your doctor and they tell you, oh, just use a lube. Ask them specifically about vaginal estrogen cream. That's good advice.
0: Definitely good advice. In this process of discovering what's going on, because obviously there's so much out there to learn and and you can bring that to people. I looked at through your book and it's kind of a discover, explore, communicate process. That's a real simplification of, of things. How do women discover and explore and communicate to solve their problem?
1: Right. So I think this discover part of it really boils down to having some sort of self care regimen because a lot of us, we don't. Yeah, we're lousy at self care. <laughs> doing for our kids and grandkids and our parents. And, you know, this is a busy time when you're 45, 55. In that age range, you might be dealing with ailing parents or loved ones that are ill. You you yourself may be dealing with a diagnosis or chronic illness. Let's say you're 43 and you're schlepping kids to volleyball. There's all these things that we're doing. And a lot of times we don't stop, we don't slow down enough, even though we know we need to. We just don't do it, slow down enough to to establish some sort of self-care practice. And that's it's that is like the key to the discover part of it. Because if you're not in tune, you're just not going to know. And, and I find with my clients, when I have given this assignment, it's pretty <laughs> simple. It's not, it's not like rocket science stuff here, but I give them the assignment and they do it. They're like, wow, I did not know I was carrying this thing, you know? So it's about setting that time aside and making sure that you're tuning in. Uh-huh. So that would be the discover part of it. And then the next, what was the next thing? It's explore. Explore. So explore, there's a combination of still discovering. Part of the explore is understanding like the medical side of it, understanding what are some of the traditional cultural aspects of sex and sexuality? What are people doing? What are people who are, who are not uncomfortable, who had been all the way out there? You know, what are they doing? What's available? You know, because sometimes sometimes people don't know. And then kind of bringing those two together, like, okay, all of these things that we have this information about what applies to me and what appeals to me, you know, because there may be some things that that might apply to you, but that it's not for you. So, Would, Would you say that part of the exploration might
0: be tapping into an intimacy coach or going to your doctor?
1: Absolutely. I think both would be helpful. Can you certainly... DIY it, you know, and do the parts of
0: <laughs> Google on search your, on your
1: own. <laughs> I think that having an intimate life coach is helpful because we sort of help to define what your goals are. What are you trying to do? And then I think I have a unique kind of position just because I am an obstetrician gynecologist and I understand all the anatomy, physiology, and medical aspect of it. So it can help to navigate those issues in a Very safe and and comfortable way where you're not sort of like, well, I'm not sure what the answer to this part of my DIY. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
0: your your combination is really quite powerful with the medical degree and the ability to coach, and then your own personal experiences. So that's amazing. And then the third element is communicate. Are we communicating only to our partners, or are we communicating to ourselves? What types of communication can we have? that will enhance our intimacy?
1: I think it's all three. I, I say all three because we're gonna involve, you're talking to yourself. Uh-huh. I, I think that affirmations are so, so important. Um, I was really
0: surprised, pleasantly surprised in your book about affirmations and meditation. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, I've never even thought of that in terms of increasing my intimacy wellness. But then apply that to this was very powerful when I read it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that meditation is something that, and people think it's like this woo-woo thing, but it's really like time for yourself and giving yourself the focus into your emotions. And in my opinion, meditation is the same thing as prayer. You're you're connecting with a higher house. Whatever your religious background and belief is, you can call it prayer. And I would say this one more other thing uh, with regard to religion. I'll uh, say so you're a very conservative Christian. God made your body, right? Yeah. He made your body <laughs> in his image, uh-huh. right? And uh, in terms of anatomy, our clitoris is uh, the only part of our body that is designed only for pleasure. There's no other function for it <laughs> but pleasure. That's cool, actually. Right. And there are eight over 8,000 nerve endings in your clitoris oh my god yeah well, so it, no okay. wonder it's
0: fun i want to clarify for our listeners that i'm very respectful of religious beliefs but i'm going to separate religion for the definition of what we're talking about as cultural just like a cultural dysfunction that's passed down from families and i'm going to separate that from the scriptures and god and so that people know that we're not talking or ditching on religion but that we're acknowledging there are things that come culturally in that organization that have disrupted us from having intimacy as women would that
1: resonate with what you were saying or did i go off from no i think it i think it resonates for sure i think it it's a and it's it's tough to kind of tease those things out, but I think that what you're saying is is totally valid. Okay. What we want to say is that you know look at the scriptures, like you said, and
0: rejoice in how our bodies are made, and mm-hmm. and know that God made that pleasure for us to have, and and that's what we want to enhance in wellness. So exactly,
1: exactly. So yeah, um, we were talking about the uh, discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, and communication, uh, communication. So yeah, the, so the three aspects of that communication would be with yourself, and then doing that positive self talk helps with your um, confidence, and confidence is, is almost everything when it comes to your intimacy. It's like you, when you feel comfortable with your body, when you have the knowledge about your body, and then the ownership of that is just—it's really powerful. When you enter the bedroom and you're able to be comfortable with yourself, and then when you do um, encounter any issues, any problems, now you have the language to talk to your provider, to talk to your doctor, to oh, talk yeah, to the, think about that, yeah, to <laughs> talk to your therapist if you have a therapist. Like this is where you bring in the professionals. You have the language. You have. You're not ashamed to say, hey, I'm having this problem. How can we work it out? And it makes it a lot easier and smoother for you to get the help that you need when it, it comes time you know, for that. And then with our partnerships, we're able to put up the boundaries in dating. We're able to talk to our husbands and partners when we have any issue that comes up. We can relay what we want, what we like, what we don't like. We're interested in, something you might want to try. Mm-hmm. You have the language and the understanding to then do that with confidence and move forward um, with these conversations. And it really can transform um, the way you interact and the pleasure that you have. That's awesome.
0: One of the things I wanted to discuss, and I can't believe the time's gone where it has, <laughs> <laughs> is that The challenges we face culturally are a little different. We touched on religion a little bit, but you had mentioned some, and I feel so grateful that you're willing to be open and vulnerable in the telling of your own story. But you talked about the differences in in cultures because of colorism, and we all face different things within those organizations of family and life. Can you share anything that you would like, maybe you went through and what you would like to help women understand?
1: Right. So this basically um, is an area of Mm -hmm. self-esteem. You know, self-esteem, again, is very important in how we view ourselves in the world and how we we measure our worth, whether that's consciously or subconsciously. That is a big part of what I'm talking about here. And it may be colorism for one person. It may be um, something else for someone else. What we're talking about with colorism is this um, notion of bias based on the color of your skin, and particularly within a community, like within the Black community, for example, people with uh, lighter skin might get a different treatment or different... Mm -hmm. um, people might perceive them differently or have a higher sense of worth for these people because they're a lighter complexion compared to someone with a darker complexion. And so that really, like it really can impact the way that you feel about yourself and your willingness to accept things Mm -hmm. that are not what you deserve, you know, and you might accept treatment that is not good treatment. Mm -hmm. Because you feel as though that is all that you're worth.
0: Yeah. And you also mentioned that there were not a lot of uh, women of color in the medical field as well in your area, right?
1: Right. Um, Not generally. There's not a lot of uh, women in medicine, period. That's changing. But there's not a lot of Black women in in medicine. And then there's not a lot of Black women in OBGYNs.
0: So that Uh, limits who they can go to and feel... You know, if you can't find a similar situation, then you feel like maybe they don't understand your situation or they probably don't understand your situation.
1: Right. And then, you know, so I have had so many Black women reaching out to me as, their, as a provider to try to get seen by me because you want to go somewhere where people will see you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not assume things about you, not dismiss you. There's Right. You know, certain stereotypes about Black women that people in the medical field, regardless of how well-intentioned they are, we hold bias that is so ingrained in our culture. I, A lot of times medical providers don't realize they're even doing it. It's it's there. It's happening. It's fe- People are feeling it. My patients uh, have come to me saying, hey, yeah, this happened to me. This thing happened to me. And it's happening. And so, yeah, that's definitely an issue that comes up.
0: Yeah. So how do women solve that problem for themselves? Let's say they're in an area where they can't find a physician who is going to have that type of sympathy for them. How do they solve the problem outside of that?
1: It's a good question. It's <laughs> a good question. That's a, that's a loaded question. Speaking out the community is, is helpful for that. One of the things that I'm hoping to do with my um, coaching program right now, I have one on one coaching. Uh-huh. Um, I'm hoping to, you know, in 2023, probably around February, be opening up a group um, coaching program where awesome. you know, there will be community and there's some a lot of value to that. When you have community around these issues, you don't feel alone. And then you can, also get referrals and you can get information. You can have a sense of what you need. And then maybe there is not a black OBGYN in your town, but at least if you have the information that you need, you can then go to your provider and get the services that you need. You can advocate for yourself.
0: That's an awesome Um, answer. Thank you. I, I, I hope that does come about because I do think that you're only one person and we, we'd love to <laughs> tap into that. Before we go, is there uh, anything that you would like to share with the audience that's just specifically something you want them to know?
1: I would just want every woman to realize that inside of her is a sexual being that deserves and can obtain pleasure. So regardless of your religion, regardless of your age, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your political sway, it's in you and you deserve it. And so if you want to, you can have it.
0: Awesome message. And and I like what you said there. No matter what our beliefs are, we all can have wonderful intimacy wellness in our life. Also, one of the things that I want our audience to know is that you have generously given them a free gift opportunity, and we'll have that link below the podcast.
1: Right. So the book uh, is called Why Don't I Like Sex Anymore? The free download is available at why don't I like sex anymore.com. So you go there um, and put in your email address and name and we'll get the PDF over to you.
0: And that's a very generous gift, by the way. It's a good book. It's very quick read yeah. and laid out very well. Also, can people reach you for online coaching? I know that maybe coaching is where you live, but can they reach you for online coaching?
1: Absolutely. So the, for coaching, you can reach me at goodgroove.com. So goodgroove.com. We're also on Instagram at goodgrooveco. Okay. Uh-huh. So, Instagram at Good Groove Co, and for coaching, it is goodgroove.com.
0: We sure appreciate your time and, and all that you have learned and know. What a wonderful gift you've given us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's been a pleasure. Well, folks, it's that time in the show when we count our blessings for being together and thank the Lord for providing us with talent that enlightens the mind and inspires the soul. Until next time, remember that life is an adventure teeming with majestic mountains of experience waiting to be explored and rivers flowing with wisdom beckoning us to drink deeply from their cool waters. Thank you for sharing in our adventure. Stay safe. God bless and have a wonderful day.